I mentioned last week that my husband and I bought a new house, so I'm looking forward to moving. I'm mostly looking forward to the part where we're already done moving. I'm really excited about that. Not so much about the part of getting all the junk in other places and trying to figure out what junk we should not be taking with us. Not totally looking forward to that, but um, I'm also really looking forward to a day, hopefully soon, where we can worship together in person again. Um, really looking forward to that. And I would say another thing I'm looking forward to is just being able to host people again when it warms up and we can be outside and, and gather. Uh, it's a passion for my husband, so we would just love to do that. And we've been talking about what it'll look like to host people at our new house, uh, just uh, not too far from our current house in Northeast Minneapolis. We're really excited about that. I'm also looking forward to teaching two new classes at Bethel uh, Seminary this year. Um, haven't taught a new class for a long time. So there's some new things. Um, and for some of us, it's tough to look forward because uh, we are nervous about things that are coming, but let's do it. Let's think about the ways in which we can look forward to what God might be doing in this new year. But I have to say that something that's been true for me is that it's been really easy this year, this season, probably more than any other time, to get kind of stuck looking forward and then in so doing sometimes miss what God might be doing right around me right now. I don't know if that's a struggle for other people, but it's good to look forward to things, but also to stay present where we are now. And even though uh, I think this has been a difficult time for some of us, um, I think this is a time where we can say, let's look around and see what God is doing right now. I actually want to share with you a, a scripture, uh, John 1.14. It's one of my favorite scriptures. It's in the Gospel of John. John, one of Jesus' followers, wrote this, this version, his version of the story of Jesus' life, death, resurrection. And this is what, this is what he says in John 1.14. I'll put it up on the screen for you. This is what he says. The word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I want to actually read it again, but this time in the message translation, the, the, the paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. Listen to the way he puts it. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. I love the way that Eugene says this, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. And so when it comes to 2021 and we're looking around trying to figure out what are we looking forward to? What is God doing now? The question for 2021 is not, uh, will God show up, but will we show up to what God is doing? That's our question for 2021. Maybe you're looking forward in anticipation. Maybe you're looking forward in trepidation or a little bit of both. But the question is, not will God show up in 2021, but will we show up to God and to what God is doing around us? Will we be able to pay attention? No matter what we're looking forward to, how we're feeling about that, will we be able to look forward? So even though I know that we're heading into a few more probably difficult winter months, and also I think there's feelings of an uncertain future beyond that, totally get that. There's one thing that I think will make or break our 2021. I know it's kind of a bold statement, but there's one thing as Jesus followers that I think will make or break our 2021, and it's this question. Will we see our stories as a part of the greater story God is telling? Will we see our stories as a part of the greater story that God is telling? So this is going to be our focus this year. We're going to look at this big story of God, the story that God is telling, and say, can we see our stories as a part of this story? In, in theological terms, we use the term meta-narrative, meta-narrative, meaning the big story of God. When we're talking with our kids, we say the big God story, this, this big story that we see through Scripture. 
And if we are able to deepen our understanding of God's story, then we're going to be able to better understand the role that we play right now. The deeper our understanding of the story, the deeper our ability to step into how we play a role in that story today. Not just in the future, but now, today, tomorrow, in the big things in life, in the little things in life. So this year, we're going to explore this big story of God we see in Scripture in a very specific way. We're going to go through the different genres that we see in the Bible, okay? So not necessarily chronologically or through the, or through the way the books of the Bible are packaged together, but actually through different genres. So we've talked before about how the Bible is not written like one single narrative, like a lot of books that we might read that are a story, but rather it's many different genres of writing together that give us this pretty deep and pretty wide perspective of this big God story, the story of God. So as you're going to see throughout the year, there are many genres in scripture and they tend to be pretty different than the genres of literature that we might be used to in our contemporary writing. So for instance, the Bible does not include some things we might be used to like a science textbook or a history textbook. That's not a genre in the Bible. Uh, another popular assumption is that the Bible is a handbook for life. That is not a genre of the Bible. It looks very different. Pull out the handbook to your car and you'll see it's very different. Uh, it's not a genre of a memoir or a, a topical nonfiction book. These are things that we would be very familiar with, might have read some of those uh, in this last year. But when it comes to contemporary writing today, we are less familiar with some of these genres in the Bible, like historical narrative and the distinctions of that, ancient law, poetic and wisdom literature, prophetic writing, epistles and apocalyptic writing, things like that. This is different for us. And so we're going to explore how the meaning comes from understanding the genre as we go through together. So we won't exactly be going from beginning of the Bible through the end. We're going to dig deep into these genres. And I think it's going to help us deepen and have our depth of meaning, which is important because if we deepen our understanding of God's story, we will deepen our understanding of our role in that story. And I think we have a very important role to play. I think we all have a very important role to play as individuals, as families, as communities, as a church. I know there's somebody out there that's listening to me and they're let that little thought slip into their head that's like, well, I, I hear you, Pastor Steph, but I don't have an important role to play. And I just want to disagree with that right now. You do. You have an important role to play. Everybody does. The question is actually, are we going to perceive it and are we going to join in? Not that God will show up, but that we will show up to God. So today, uh, and, and then for the next few weeks, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to talk about this big story, the meta narrative, as a whole before we dig down deep into each genre, which we're going to do starting in February. And so there's a few different ways that people have looked at the, the big God story, the meta narrative, the whole story of God. Uh, and a lot of them are really helpful. But one of our favorite ways is a four part framework, so to speak, which makes it easier to remember. And it also helps us to really see where our role is. Where are we at in the midst of this story? So there's these four parts, these four major plot movements or like four acts to a play that we see happen throughout this story. They are creation, disruption, redemption, and restoration. Creation, disruption, redemption, and restoration. Now, listen close because I'm going to describe each of these to you and I'm going to put an image up on the screen that can help you just to connect with this. So the first one, creation. Let me read this to you. God created the world and everything in it and it was good. When God created humans, they were made in God's image. And God said they were very good. The earth was full of God's shalom, which means peace. The kind of peace in which everything works according to God's intention. 
The world was made for human flourishing. There we could live in joy in the presence of God as God's co-workers, caring for his very good creation. Part two, disruption. Humans rejected God's rule and leadership. They deliberately went away from God's commands and their actions declared that they believed they were wiser than their creator. This resulted in sin and brokenness entering God's good creation and disrupting everything. Every inch of the earth was touched by brokenness, this brokenness that swept in. This rebellion results in physical and spiritual death for humanity. The third plot movement is redemption. Thankfully, the creator, while he, God is angry towards the sin and brokenness, also deeply loves humanity and creation. And God is determined to redeem the evil and suffering from the disruptive force of brokenness. So this movement shows God implementing a master plan for redeeming the world that God loves, rescuing the broken humans and healing the broken world. The most climactic part of this plot movement is when through the person of Jesus Christ, God comes to renew the world and restore God's people. The death and resurrection of Jesus inaugurate and unlock the power of the kingdom of God and humans are invited to join in the mission of redemption. And then part four, the last plot shift is into to complete restoration. The story doesn't end with redemption, but rather it continues with hope. God has promised to renew the whole world. And the Bible gives us a peek into this glorious future. The restoration of all things will take place when Jesus returns to defeat sin and evil. And he will usher in righteousness and justice. All the wrong things will be made right and all the sad things will become untrue. God's perfect shalom or peace will cover the earth and God will purge this world of evil once and for all. I love these, these four images uh, that we've used in the past at Mill City to just display these four movements of the plot of the meta narrative. And those descriptions that I just read, I put up online for you where you could go back and read them uh, to really get your head around these four parts because they're so important. They're going to guide our entire year. You can go to millcitychurch.com slash the story and you'll see the, the descriptions of those four movements. So when it comes to the Bible, this library of 66 books, that's a good way to think of it, like a library with lots of different genres in it. Uh, we talked about this before, uh, how it has all of these different books in it. But how do we see these four plot movements move through this collection of books? How do we see creation, disruption, redemption, and restoration move through the story of the Bible? So taking it from this beautiful artwork, I want to go into a little bit more of a uh, technical way of looking at it, okay? So let's look at it on a timeline. I'm going to put this up on the screen for you. So if we look at it on the timeline, the first step, creation, it is found in Genesis 1 and 2. Those first two chapters of the story encapsulate the creation story, the beginning of how God created things so good and humans very good. And then disruption happens. And there's a little bit of disagreement maybe around scholars of exactly how long we see the disruption really being showcased. But Genesis 3 through 8, and then we get to, to 8, and we start to see the redemption story. And the redemption story goes from Genesis 8, arguably, you can kind of argue about different times and which story exactly is the beginning of redemption, uh, the flood narrative, various things we'll talk about this year. 
But the redemption story goes from Genesis 8 all the way through Jude and actually a little bit into Revelation, which we talked about this last month. Um, and that's, that's a long part of redemption. This is a redemption story. And then the fourth part, restoration, is found in Revelation and, and really in the last part of Revelation and certainly is pointed at from the beginning of the story, this final restoration of God. So look at this and think about how from Genesis 8 all the way through Jude, we have all of these books of the Bible that encapsulate the biggest, most important part of the story, the redemption story. All of them. All right, here they go. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Saul's Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, 1 and Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 and 2 Peter, 1 and 2 3 John, Jude. I would have gotten a candy bar in Sunday school for that. Right? Okay. So that's a lot. This story is by and large a redemption story. This book, this is my, my specific Bible here. I, I went and counted. All but 24 pages out of 1,226 total pages in this Bible here are the redemption story. This story is a redemption story. All but 24 pages here. And we find ourselves caught up in the messy middle of this part of the story, of the redemption part of the story, the redemption part of the plot. And we are invited by God to play an important part in this story. So similar to our first role in creation, when we were describing that, that plot movement in creation, our first role was to be co-workers with God to care for the earth. Well, our role now as people who are a part of this third part, this third movement of redemption, is to join God's work in redeeming the earth and everything in it. We get to join in that process. When we say yes to Jesus as our savior, when we say yes to Jesus as our leader, Jesus leads us right into the center of the story, right into the center of the action to be people of help and hope wherever we go. In every aspect of our lives, in the, in the mundane to the madness, in the, the most wonderful to the most completely worst moments, the, the everyday realities to the once in a lifetime experiences, every part of our life, is a, there is an invitation for us to join in our role in God's grand redemption story. And the question for us is, will we accept that invitation and will we join in? Let's return back to this first chapter of John again. Okay, John 1. Listen for the four-part plot uh, trajectory as I read. Okay, I'm going to skip through some different verses that aren't relevant just to keep us on track. But listen for creation, disruption, redemption, and restoration as we go through these, this part of the story. And at the beginning, Jesus is referred to here again as the word. Let me read it. I'll put it up on the screen. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. All right, right. What does that sound like? Creation, right? In the beginning, Jesus was there in the beginning. Nothing was made without Jesus present. Let's continue on. Verse five, the light shines in the darkness. What does this sound like? And the darkness has not yet overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
When I listen to that, I think it sounds like disruption, right? Darkness, people rejecting God, even though Jesus made the world, they rejected him. All right, continue on. And let's look for the turn into redemption. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed or trusted in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Verse 14 that we read before. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And I'm going to skip down to verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. That last verse we read, I just love it. I love how it points this reality out. Although this specific passage here doesn't dive into that final stage of restoration. John, likely the same person who wrote these words in John 1, is the person who wrote down that vision of the new heaven and the new earth of this restoration in Revelation 21 and 22. And we hear Jesus and the authors of the gospels pointing to this future restoration. But I love this last verse, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who himself is God, is in closest relationship with the father, has made him known. No one has ever seen God, but... Jesus, this physical representation of God coming to earth. And so this is why we focus so much on the person of Jesus here at Mill City. This is why our mission is to love our community in the name of Jesus, as Jesus gives us this picture of God in such a unique way. I met Jesus when I was pretty young, and I'm thankful for that. But I also just love how powerful it is to hear some of your stories when you tell me about how you came to, to be a follower of Jesus later in your life. But even if we had a thousand lifetimes, I don't think I would ever know God fully because that's just how incredible and complex that God is. I mean, I have a whole lifetime. You have a whole lifetime to go deeper in that relationship with Jesus. Now, I met my husband, JD, much later in life than I met Jesus. I was 34, and I soon realized that this guy was pretty complex as well. And I don't think it would take me a thousand lifetimes to figure him out, but it might be close. And I remember when we were dating, I, I came to meet his parents for the first time and they started telling me all these stories about him. I'm not sure I asked for the stories, but they came out. And I don't know if they were trying to test me, scare me off, see if I could hang in there with them. I don't know, uh, but it was, it was pretty funny, some of these stories. In all seriousness though, I mean, these stories, while they were pretty crazy, some of them, most of them, each part of his backstory that they told me, I found myself falling more and more in love with this guy. Even though I don't totally understand how he got his head out of that fence with the jaws of life and why that happened, every story they told me, I was like, man, I, I was a little bit le leaving, I was leaving with a lot of questions. I'm gonna be honest, I was leaving with a lot of questions, but I also left that dinner thinking, I think I wanna spend the rest of my life trying to learn and understand this person. And I think it's so similar in our relationship with God. The more we learn about the backstory of God, the deeper understanding we have of who God is. If you love someone, you want to understand their story. This is why the whole story of God matters so much for us to understand in a deeper and deeper way. From creation, disruption, redemption to restoration. As we learn the stories, as we try to understand it, you might be left with more questions than answers at times, just like I still am when I leave an O'Brien storytelling session. But love compels you to know more and more. So as we head into 2021, my challenge to us, myself included, is that we would dig deep in this story. 
not only to understand it in our heads, which is good, but also to bring it to our hearts and have this deeper understanding of this God who loves us enough to invite us in as an important part of the grand redemption story that God is writing. If you head to the website I mentioned earlier, millcitychurch.com slash the story, that's where the teaching team is going to be updating resources for us and collecting resources that can help us to dig deeper into our understanding of God's story as we go through 2021. One specific resource I do want to draw your attention to is a, a, a version of kind of reading the Bible through the year plan that's designed by our friends at the Bible Project. Clarification, they are not technically my friends yet, but that's how I like to refer to them because I love the Bible Project people. And uh, you can go onto the website here and it's the, through the YouVersion Bible app. A lot of people have it. It's free. And you can sign up to be a part of my group. And we're going to read it together. And we're going to start tomorrow, January 4th. So head to that website, millcitychurch.com slash the story. There's also an option to have it emailed to you if you'd rather do that, uh, as well as a podcast that has some weekly reflections on the, that the Bible Project team, my friends, are sharing with us. Um, and then all of that stuff is on that website. And if you're somebody who's like, look, I don't want any apps or emails. Just give me a PDF that I can print out and check out every day. That's there too, okay? So you can get a reading plan there. <laughs> but here's what I want us to think about. As we think about 2021, like I said, you might be looking forward with anticipation or trepidation or both. But that's the question that I want you to take with you that we've been asking. Will you see your story as a part of the greater story that God is telling? How is everything that you're looking forward to something that is a part of God's greater story? What were the, the answers you gave earlier about what you're looking forward to? Maybe there's some things that you are dreading. What is God doing in the messy middle redemption of that story? The things you're not looking forward to. But even as you think about what you maybe said when we asked the question in community time, how is God going to be a part of that? Wonder about that together. As I think about this for, for us, in a few weeks, we're going to live in a different corner of Northeast Minneapolis. What story is God writing that's going to be significant for us? How are we a part of the story that God is writing in the life of some of our neighbors we've already met, like Paul and Antoinette and their twins? Or on the other side, these two guys, Andrew and Miles, who live next door. What is God doing in their life? How are we a part of that story? How are they a part of our story that's a part of this bigger redemption story of God? When we look forward, like I said, to gathering friends outside as soon as we can stand it, which might be only like 30 degrees, we'll make it happen. But how might God use the gift and passion for hospitality that my husband has in the midst of a time when people have been so lonely? When it comes to this year, in the midst of your family life, your work life, your spiritual life, your relational life, how is it a part of the redemption story? Where can you join in? These questions are so critical because like I said at the beginning, I think what could make or break 2021 for us as Jesus followers is if we will see our stories as a part of the greater story that God is telling. We're going to celebrate communion together like we do every week. And so if you have something that can, can be an element of the bread and the cup with you, you can grab that now. And we celebrate it together even though we're physically apart. But things like this, taking a, a piece of bread and taking some juice are physical representations and reminders for us to be people who turn our minds and our hearts towards the story of God. The pull towards our own life and our egocentrism and, and our selfishness is so strong, but these kinds of things remind us that Jesus did everything possible for us to be a part of this redemption story. He took this bread and he said, this is my body given for you. And he turned to his disciples and he took a cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. 
And then he said something important. He said, whenever you eat this or drink this, I want you to remember me. Because I think he knew how easy it would be for us to forget and to focus back on ourselves. So when we take this bread and we take this cup, we're remembering that in the midst of this messy middle of this redemption story, we are redeemed. We are forgiven because of what Jesus has done. That we are people who need to be saved and rescued from ourselves every single day, and that's Jesus' promise to us. But we also remember that we are invited to join in the grand story that God is telling. Let's pray. Jesus, as we take this bread and this cup and we remember what you've done for us, we pray that you would be the one, your Holy Spirit would empower us to turn our minds and hearts towards the story that you're writing this year. As we thought about any resolutions and goals and thoughts and things about this year, help us to reorient it all towards the way we get to join in to your redemption story. Lead us, guide us. Thank you for loving us so much that we get to be a part of what you're doing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.